Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, a podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Zara Stone. Zara Stone is an award-winning journalist who writes for The Atlantic, The Washington Post, One Zero, Wired Magazine, Cosmopolitan, The San Francisco Chronicle, The BBC, Forbes Magazine, and others. She reports on the intersection of technology, culture, and identity. Here's Zara reading from her new book, The Future of Science is Female, The Brilliant Minds Shaping the 21st Century. Sure. And so this section is just from a chapter on the book about the rise of plant-based fish for context. Another pioneer is marine biologist Dominique Barnes. Dominique grew up among the neon lights of Las Vegas, her closest access to sea life in the aquarium at the Mirage and Golden Nugget Casino. She loved visiting as a kid, pressing her freckled face against the glass her brown hair pulled back in a ponytail so she could get a closer look as the sharks and tropical fish swam by, blinking silently at the never-ending stream of gamblers. Fascinated by sea life, Dominique applied for a Master's in Marine Biodiversity and Conservation at Scripps at the University of California, San Diego. Being so close to the ocean, she saw animals die every day, choking in polluted waters, bleeding from injuries caused by careless fishermen, or garroted by plastic rings from canned six-packs. It was getting worse year by year, and no one seemed to be doing anything about it. Not really. The people in power didn't seem to care, especially the men. They might murmur a little bit, but nothing changed. And now that really sucked, especially because women bear the brunt of this mess. 80% of people displaced by climate disasters are women and girls, and they're 14 times more likely to die during natural disasters. Men also have a bigger carbon footprint than women, and overall, they care less. A 2019 study from Yale University found that men see caring about the world they live in as feminine. Women and every metric you can think of are more environmentally friendly, says Ashley Johnson from Do the Green Thing, an environmental nonprofit. They are more likely to recycle, they litter less, 
They are more likely to buy an electric car. They're more likely to vote for politicians who care about the environment. Johnson believes that the gender dynamic is to blame here. Climate change is sexist, she says. It simply magnifies the existing inequalities within our society. The research suggests that some men fear that green actions will make them be seen as girly. In San Diego, a mutual friend introduced Dominique to materials scientist Michelle Wolf. They clicked immediately, both sharing the same worldview about the sustainable food system and the horror of the depleting oceans. Together, they hatched a plan for a fresh free alternative brewed up from plants and algae. But what fish should they target first? Every pound of fish caught in the wild resulted in five pounds of other marine wildlife that was discarded, including dolphins and sharks. After a deep discussion, they chose shark fin as their first product. It was considered a delicacy in some places, which had led to illegal shark hunting. They named their imitation shark fin smart fin and made it by binding yeast with collagen to mimic the fin's texture. They got some pushback from conservationists who didn't want people encouraged to eat any kind of shark, even a fake one, as food. Since 2013, shark fins been banned from state banquets in China. So Dominique and Michelle pivoted, choosing shrimp as their next product. It's the most popular seafood in America, with one billion compounds consumed every year. And shrimp production, whether by farming or trawling, has some serious side effects. There's a high fatality rate for workers and a record of slave labor used on the trawlers. Shrimp farming is also really bad for the environment, with around five square miles of mangrove trees felled to produce just two pounds of shrimp. Thank you so much for reading for us today. Welcome to the show, Zara. Thank you for having me. Zara, what are your ideal conditions for you to write? So um, I think I'm pretty lucky that I can kind of write anywhere. Like I can write sitting in the bed with two cushions on my knee and, or write on the couch or, you know, write like even when it's noisy and on the bus. Um, but even though I just said I can write anywhere and when it's noisy, uh, they do actually come with some conditions. So I can't write if I can like hear any music with words in. That's like a really big problem for me. Mm. And so I like it to be really, really quiet, ideally, or kind of have classical music on in the background. Uh, when that's not possible, I actually use some ear mufflers I got from a monster truck rally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have like little tires on each end. So I think they were kind of maybe designed for 10-year-olds, but I wear those in the apartment and that really helps if somebody starts drilling outside. Why do you write? I think I write because it's how I make sense of the world. Like I write to learn things. I write to learn about myself. And it's just a way I have of kind of exploring my own interests and like putting them in perspective. I write mostly nonfiction, but I get a choice about what I write about. And so normally I just focuses on areas that interest me, things I like need, want to know more about or things I know about that I'm still learning. It's just 
it's how I understand the world. Like the written word for me is kind of like a a map that like shows me how everything works. What inspires you? I think what inspires me is curiosity. Like it's the idea of things I don't know. Um, and I think it's kind of being being able to be interested in many things because it's really easy to take everyday stuff for granted. You know, we wake up, we do this, we go here. And but when you kind of break it down into like the tiny little things, like how does the mail arrive? Like it's some big complex system with many moving parts that goes back hundreds of years and it just becomes something, you know, we just see a little letter that arrives, but it has all this history and kind of importance behind it. And, you know, it's about communication and sharing knowledge and just being able to try and look at the little things and think about them in that frame and not taking things for granted kind of really helped inspire me. And just, you know, a little bit of being nosy. What are your best writing tips? So I think when writing, I would always say, um, get everything down on the paper first. I know a lot of people, you know, like to edit as they go along. And I think that's really admirable. But for me, I think like have a really messy first draft, um, but like at least have something, you know, you can leave lots of question marks and like things in bold or highlighted. I have often my drafts are like colored in rainbow colors because of all the spaces I've left. But just mm-hmm. to put it down on the page, I think um, like writing also takes practice. Like it's a skill that's developed. I think growing up, I kind of ha- thought that writing was just, you know, something that comes naturally, like, you know, like breathing, you do it, you're good at it. But I've realized more and more how much it's a craft and how much being able to work with kind of good editors and being able just to give yourself space to play with the language um, really improves the kind of writing you can do. And what are your biggest writing challenges? Uh, writing challenges. Well, I feel like endings have always been a challenge for me, hmm. uh, especially when you're dealing with word count. I think there's always the idea that, you know, there's more to say or more to learn. And uh, I mean, especially in nonfiction, you know, there's never like a an easy ending. Like it's not a happy ever after generally with most stories. It's, you know, life goes on and things continue. So that has definitely been something I kind of struggle with. And I think I also kind of struggle with uh, knowing, you know, what to keep in and what to leave out. Because as a um, kind of bit process of writing, where you become a little bit too immersed in your own world and you forget that to other people, like they want the story and they want the action and they don't care if you spent two hours finding out what kind of hat someone wore in the 1950s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, that happened. Yeah, Reddit is great for that. What are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block? Gosh, yeah, no, the block is like the nightmare when you have the page in front of you and you're not writing anything and you have like your deadlines looming or, you know, just the whole day and you feel like you're wasting your time. I mean, for me, the best thing then is like, you know, to go out, to go for a walk, to hula hoop, to kind of spend all day like trying not to think about it while I'm thinking about it, but definitely not sitting in front of my computer. Um, I don't really find reading other stuff helps when I'm blocked. Um, In fact, when I'm 
kind of really deep in something I worry about reading other work because I sometimes think that like whatever I'm writing will pick up slightly of the latest person I'm reading um, just in terms of tone and texture so I try to avoid it just being able to separate from what you're doing and kind of go out go watch a trashy tv show and like try and take your mind off like that terrible blank page what about editing and revising tips For one, definitely like, you know, revise later for me, at least not as you go along and also kind of be prepared to be a little bit ruthless, like try and take, you know, a week off since you've read your work and read it with fresh eyes. And like, as you're reading it, try and imagine like, you know, you're reading one of your favorite books, like, is it zipping along enough? Like, are you kind of getting stuck in the weeds or like, what is the flow like? Because I think that's something that's kind of easy to forget. Um, and sometimes reading your work out loud can actually help with the editing and revising. Um, you know, even though, you know, most most books aren't necessarily audio books, but as you voice it out loud, I think it helps you hear the tone and the flow of the language. And you start seeing kind of what feels more awkward and clunky and what areas you can smooth out. Tell me about the relationship between your physical and mental health in your writing. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think oh, now I'm actually thinking about this. So I mean, I'm someone who kind of I have ADD and I've suffered for depression, and I would say these things have probably at those points have probably created some of my like maybe my best writing in a way. Like I think when you have like issues in your own life and you are able to get them onto the page, it's a lot more raw and real than when you're trying to figure out how somebody who might have those issues might feel. But at the same time, like, you know, you're not necessarily doing your best work. You're not doing it regularly. And it really can be a big struggle. I find that when I'm exercising regularly, um, it puts me in a much better position to kind of write and get my work done. Um, like I find it energizing rather than tiring. And especially for, you know, trying to like write for long periods of stretch it, long periods of time, doing something like yoga, like almost every day is really essential because otherwise your back will start killing you. So I think, yeah, like having troubles with kind of mental and physical health can actually produce some amazing work. But like in the long term, it's better, at least for me, if, if I can kind of control all those things in terms of my writing and my, like, my production scale. Would you share with us your path to publication? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so this, The Future Sciences Female is my first book, and I'm actually working on a second book at the moment. Uh, my first book is a children's book, and the second one is a narrative nonfiction for adults about prison reform through the lens of beauty in the 1960s. And so um, it's a little bit of an odd story that the prison book, which is, you know, makes more sense a lot longer and a lot more in depth, had um, kind of been underway for like two years. And I had my agent and, you know, she was sending it out and she was trying to sell it. And for whatever reason, we weren't getting any bites which I mean, you know, every author knows is like pretty agonizing because you go through all this effort to get yourself an agent and then you're like, oh, this isn't the end of it. Like it continues this being judged by other people. 
Mm. Um, and during this period, I uh, got approached about the children's book from a publisher who they'd seen a lot of my technology journalism because that's a topic I cover a lot. And I offer um, kind of cover female entrepreneurs and, you know, women in general who are doing cool things in science. And they asked if I would be interested in writing a kid's book. And it wasn't really something I had thought about before, but it seemed really interesting. And part of me as well was like, well, maybe if that does okay, it will sell the prison book. Because I was just in this weird place which, where I didn't quite know what was happening. And because uh, the kid's science book, you know, talks about AI and all these different things, like it does have a chapter about the future of criminal justice and how like these like really cool women are using artificial intelligence as a way to kind of make the system fairer and reduce bias. And so this book, uh, and then and then the prison book sold and suddenly I had two books to write. So that was, uh, and then, you know, the pandemic. So that was maybe more of an unusual journey than most people. Uh, I know, you know, it's the things that I'm very lucky happened to me, but it was also a bit of a kind of complicated thing to happen at the same time. Who are some other women writers we should be aware of right now? So I just uh, I finished a couple of really good books. Uh, so one of them is called No Filter by Sarah Freer. And it's a nonfiction book about the story of Instagram, which, you know, I realize sounds really, really boring. <laughs> like, so I, I, you know, I picked it up because I was like, okay, I'll learn a bit. But it ended up being um, a really surprising page turner um, in the way where, you know, if you've read Bad Blood or kind of some of the other really interesting nonfiction books where you're like, what happens next? And I was really surprised because I was like, I know Instagram, I use it. You know, maybe this will just teach me a bit about Silicon Valley. But there was all this kind of drama and like relationship problems. And then like then Elon Musk would comment and I'm like, oh, my God. And so I really enjoyed it. And it also made me think about, you know, this is a really good way to write nonfiction that's really compelling. Um, and another book I finished recently is called The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And it's a fiction book. And the whole book kind of really goes into the idea of race and identity and how you think about yourself as a person and representation. It's uh, told kind of through the perspectives of this pair of twins um, who are kind of half black, half white, and one decides to embrace her whiteness and one kind of goes deeper into her blackness and the stories kind of separate. And it's just this like really beautiful tale that um, makes you think a lot more about kind of how you look at the world and like what things mean. So. I mean, any book that kind of leaves you thinking about it long after you've finished, I think is a really valuable book to read. And where can listeners find you online? Uh, so you can find me on my website, which is zarastone.net. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as almost Zara. Thank you for sharing your writing and with Stone with us today, Zara. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting Zara's prompt at the top of the page, and writing whatever comes to mind. 
Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. So through this writing prompt, I'd like you to write about a physical product that doesn't exist right now, magical or otherwise, and how you would use it. Talking to Zara Stone was so great this week. I have to tell you, I kept messing up her name. I kept saying Zara like Sarah, and then having to correct it. It made me feel awful. And she was so great to talk to, I felt like a jerk for getting it wrong. I edited that all out, but I wanted to mention it here because I feel like getting people's names right is so important. And I kept getting it wrong, and I kept correcting myself. That's how it is sometimes, isn't it? Luckily, she was patient with me. One of the things that Zara said that has stuck with me is that when she comes back to her work, she reads it and pretends that it's one of her favorite books, that she checks to make sure that it's flowing and zipping along, and that as a reader, she's engaged. I thought that was such a good way to think about things when we're editing. Zara Stone's new book, The Future of Science is Female, is out now. When I'm not ordering through my local bookstore, I like to order through bookshop.org because it supports small local booksellers across the country. You can find the link to buy Zara's book in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would like it too. I appreciate you helping me reach more writers. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Woman Writing. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at Fierce Women Writing. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.